based on the previous podcasts where we've, we've just finished, Rich, you know, I said that we've done, Mike and I've done the cards on each other. There might be a section in that podcast where there is some sort of commentary on, on the, the fact I can sometimes over elaborate. So why use one story when three will do? There was a moment as he was about to over elaborate on his issue of over elaborating. <laughs> yeah, I, I was literally about to explain it with another story. Michael just had his oh, that's ironic face on. <laughs> I love the fact that we've discovered a new branch of calculus today. The over elaboration of over elaboration. Fantastic. Yeah, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> Welcome to the Noggin Podcast, putting people in good places to do good stuff at work. And this week we're halfway through our conversation with Kim and Rich about adaptive change, following the four steps of the immunity to change process. We're jumping straight in to step three. You know, if you want to change a behaviour, you've got to know what the behaviour is to start with and understand what what lies behind it. Um, And what lies behind it is my favourite step, which is step three. Perfect little serve for this rally to continue, wasn't it? Keeping the uh, analogy going. I thought I thought that was Michael going. No, we're not going to move on. <laughs> I'm going to add another story, but that was that was a very a very effective uh, slide for the Because he spent because he spent far too long with me. Yeah. <laughs> so so I suppose step three in the process is where it begins to tip into the oh moment. And the, much in the way that we talk about some of the underpinnings of our ABC model about the primal fears and the worries that people have, we, we avoid going that deep to start with by keeping the armbands on almost as you're swimming, by asking people to base the next part of reflection on the behaviours that you've identified that you do. So for, for me, for example, was you know not being open and honest in the moment with somebody that you know, for example, that I, I can't remember who they are. And the question is, what would you worry about if you were to do the opposite, which has a charge to it, Michael, doesn't it? Mm. Where, oh, and people go, oh, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, you know, and that's a, that can trigger the pre-logical reaction or the kinesthetic that what, you know, what would you worry about? Well, I'd, I'd worry that they, I'd worry that they'd think less of me mm. or I'd worry that they wouldn't like me. Or I'd worry that they, and I, you know, how long have we got? And um, so that that is where it begins to take. You take the armbands off a little bit, and you dip below the surface slightly. That it's it's that step that can also get that can get a bit a bit raw as well, because you kind of said, well, I've, I, I do this. This is what I look like when I do this. Why do I do this? And you know, your first answer probably isn't isn't the truth. It's it's when you kind of apply this this. Um, you know the the the, the expertise of, of Ben's questioning of well, well what what's important about that and what's important about that and 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 what does this mean to you and sort of you know drilling down on on the specifics and then actually kind of opening opening the or reaching the the, the problem are you reaching the source of the problem um, and that that can be quite a yeah that's when it starts getting a bit sensitive and can be a bit raw and it is that take the behaviour and take each individual behavior you identify and ask yourself what would 
you worry about if you did the opposite. And so it's, it keeps us at that surface level and then dips with context into the worry associated with that behaviour rather than, you know, lie down on the couch and um, tell me about your deepest fears because that is too much of a stretch for people and unhelpful. What we want is to understand, let's keep it at a surface level, go a little bit deeper by saying, if you did the opposite of that, what would the fear be? What would the worry be? Rich, you were, you were nodding vehemently. As Kim said that, tell tell us more. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know if Kim will thank me for the first part of this anecdote. So, Mark, you might need to edit this. But um, I recall I recall a, a back and forth in some smaller groups about this, where it got particularly raw rather quickly, and um, my inability to keep my mouth shut probably didn't help at that particular moment. <laughs> and Kim Kim is doing a kind of you know slit throat shut up kind of on the camera here. So. Uh, I'll, I'll probably leave it there rather than offend anymore. But I, did, I remember we it, it generated a lot of direct and very frank conversation, and that it's not just necessarily with yourself if you do this in, in a group. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, this was the bit I probably enjoyed the most actually because it was really good when you get to pull the seams and really kind of you know probe some some dark places and see what's what's there. Um, but, and that's where the value is because you get the, the true drivers of it. And I think. And when I, when I look at mine, that, that last kind of questioning step made me realise why the behaviour was so ingrained, actually, Ben, mm. and why I was probably so resistant to hearing that I needed to change. Because for me, it was like, when well, I'm doing that, because I'm in the fundamental belief that other people think this, this and this, therefore I have to do that. And it's like, well, actually, it's completely counteractive to what you're trying to achieve, mate. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's kind of you know, baseball bat in the face kind of realisation, but in, it's not far off. Excellent, little listener. Baseball bats in the face. Thank you. <laughs> We're all friends here, man. And to respond to what you said, Kim, it can be really, it can be really tricky to verbalise this in the context of being with other people who you've just met on a course who you've not met in real life. And Ben's asked you to do a little bit of reflection. You've got this piece of paper in front of you and you've written down some of the stuff that you worry about, some of the fears. And and then all of a sudden you're in a group of three and you're like, oh, do I really want to tell this person? <laughs> when you when you break through the barrier of that discomfort, I, I, I found that afterwards it's like, oh, right, we're all we're all human beings here and we've all got something. And it's like, like Ben was saying about the organization, we've all got a backhand. And all of a sudden it's, it is a sense of relief that we've all, we've all got something we're worrying about. And you even might find that whoever you're partnered with, it might be a similar thing. And it's like, oh, it's, I'm, it's not just me then. <laughs> it's not just me then. Mate, we're, we're all a bit like this. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, and as I say, we've, we've come out closer um, for, for going through that experience together um, and sort of opening up and and it, you don't think any less of the person for having shared that, yeah. that vulnerability actually you understand the person more and we're able to help each other mm. more um which mm. i guess is something as a society we're not really used to is it that it's that sort of sort of you know. i i find it that um quite often um, if I'm to, if I'm to if I'm to be vulnerable or if I'm to if I'm to share a vulnerability, quite often I think that the other person might think I'm weak in some way, and actually that's not the case. 
but the process in my head beforehand is is often that sort of loop and that can sometimes prevent me mm. and when i was on um when i was on step three thinking about being more intentional with my career trying to do more of the things that i want to do the thing that came up in the worry box was well if i was to if i was to back myself if i was to go after the thing that i want then shit what happens if i failed then it would like it would be a real failure because if i fail at somebody else's thing it sort of doesn't matter as much <laughs> but when it's my thing then it's like oh that's really gonna that's really gonna hurt <laughs> so it's like why would why would i go and do anything that i would want to do <laughs> i think that's a really good example of the strength yeah of what prevents us from making the change but because the the fears and you know that fear of failure you know my thing about being concerned about if i did that if i fessed up to that in the moment they might not like me or they might think less of me they're quite not passive because they are important but the process is that the the suggestion and i think the thing that i learned from this process is that whilst you can have models that sort of say, well, here are people's primal fears. And doesn't it make sense cognitively, the fact that these are the, the typical fears and worries that people have? And you go like, oh, yes, that's, you know, that I can recognize that and I can empathize with that because that's what tends to happen. The process in this context is what Michael's just described with such passion is that he's secretly committed to avoiding that feeling. So whilst on one hand he wants to move forward, I'm committed to moving forward with intentionality about my professional career, but at the same time he's he's secretly committed to never being a failure. Then you you you're what's what's the way we describe it that that you've got one foot on the accelerator and the other foot's on the brake. Yeah. In my case, the handbrake's on as well. <laughs> with, with both hands. And 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 in that. In that um, almost stretch Armstrong being pulled in two directions, or the brake and the accelerator at the time, that's the bit where we describe it to be the immunity. Mm. Because all the while you're trying to move towards this, but you're holding yourself back at the same time. You're holding the held in this stasis of of of, of you know you're you're immobile, and that's the point at which you you learn that the. The fears, whilst they exist or the worries exist, it's actually we're actively. Mm. So you've taken the, you've taken the fear. In my case, the fear of failure, and then you've turned it into some rather than something that's happening to me. It's something that I'm committed to avoiding. I'm committed to never not being liked. This was the other thing I recall from our course was the number of double negatives made it. I occasionally. Um, <laughs> challenging to follow i mean but my my kind of my um fear if you like was very similar like it's a, a fear of looking stupid and that's really powerful right if you don't want people to think you've damn got a scooby-doo what you're talking about then you know you're gonna you're gonna start doing some pretty deep-rooted cerebral things to try and stop that and it's a very yeah but then to turn that around and go well actually no this, this is something that yeah i'm i'm kind of self-projecting or, or having letting people project onto me that isn't true and thinking through how to overcome that is, is kind of the one of the more cathartic bits which is why i really enjoyed this this step in particular actually Chaps. 
but you've got to you've got to go through some barbed wire first to start rolling around in the grass. <laughs> the yeah. And the and the point about the double negatives because it took me took me a while to get used to this until somebody explained that for it to trigger us in the way it triggers us, it's the avoidance of something. Because I could say, you know, I'm secretly committed to always being liked. Oh, that's great. That gives me a lovely feeling because I love always being liked, which is quite a different thing to saying I'm secretly committed to never not being liked. And not being liked is the, oh, dear, that's the moment. That's the bit I want to avoid. And Is that your scared voice? Say again? Is that your scared voice? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. We, we came across this voice quite a few times in the last podcast, didn't we, Ben? We did. We did. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just me that picks up on it yeah, well, yeah. and in and in circulating this podcast to the world you're inviting the world to always pick up on this voice yeah <laughs> well, in, in for a penny in for a i think that second invite has just been put in the shredder there <laughs> i suppose that that's the point for us where we notice the as michael said earlier this is the bit that where it becomes the fun part it's it's a realization that we're actively not sabotaging ourselves because that's that would be a really um that would be the wrong description we're protecting ourselves mm. we're actively protecting ourselves and it's the fact that we're doing that unconsciously i'm secretly and it makes this it makes the you know if you're that michael's passion in the way you described that fear of failure it, it really makes sense of the behaviours you identified in column two because they are well, you know, great, very effective behaviours to protect yourself in that way. It makes them all add up. Kim, when, when you did this for the first time, mm. uh, something I kind of remember about it was actually once we got to a, a big chunk of the column we're discussing, it all kind of made sense and actually stacked up that then made it a lot easier to, to digest because it's a little bit kind of... Um, nebulous is not quite the right word but it was i just remember thinking kind of where are we going and i don't quite get it and then you get to this point and suddenly as, as you said ben the, the bit before makes a lot more sense and it kind of so it's really nice kind of dovetailing in did you find that as well kim yes um and it sort of you end up or as ben said earlier it, it is sort of um it makes perfect sense when you get to that point because you're like well of, of course of course i've been doing that because i've got i've got to this point you know i've been been alive for so many years and I, I, I've, I've done this that and the other it's worked you know I've, I've got to here and it's so it's sort of been self-fulfilling in your life and journey so far um but it's that kind of realize that moment of realization that light bulb of ah this is this is why I do that and um again Ben said earlier it's sort of self it's um it's it's sort of you're self-jeopardizing um, by by doing this, you, and, you know it's quite exhausting, really, as well. When you kind of realise this, this what 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 you've been doing and why, um, you know, this foot on the accelerator and on the brake, and, and you know, just being pulled in different directions, and it and it's exhausting. Um, no wonder we're all all, na- all knackered and and, um, and you know, but it's it, it's kind of it's quite a relief to finally settle on that and go ah, this is this is it, and it all as you say, it all makes sense and starts. Um, Sort of start stacking up. That's a great word. Actually, relief wasn't wasn't one that I could have picked off the tip of my tongue, but I think you're, you're spot on. And that again, another great example of 
this this process i think and how it it triggers all sorts of um kind of emotions that you probably wouldn't think if someone said we're going to talk to you about your inhibitions to change you'd be like oh yeah great it's probably gonna be a bit a bit prickly and you know who knows maybe get a bit spicy but turn out the other end and go actually i'm really relieved i'm feeling you know empowered is quite quite something really um blinding moment of clarity i think that's how i describe it in my feedback for you then blinding moments of clarity i think that's why it's so effective though because you're actually you're spending time and and you know asking those sort of difficult deep questions in, in the middle but spending time on that middle section rather than going well i struggle to say no therefore i'm just going to start you know i'm going to start doing it more which obviously doesn't work because you're not you know topic of the conversation immunity to change you're not actually understanding why and and um equipping yourself with able with being able to say no it's just um you know it's just kind of the idea that well this is my problem and i'll just do the opposite it, it it's not authentic and real at that point and that's why it's then not effective so um actually drilling you know spending time on these middle sections um it is whilst can be quite quite difficult sort of really drilling into those questions but actually makes it more effective and the, the sort of blinding those moments of clarity rich as you talk about so then the final part of the process is to take the, the the protective measures of you know i'm secretly committed to never not being liked or i'm secretly committed to never being a failure is then we take the armbands off fully and go a little bit below the surface a bit further and ask what's the big rule that you apply to yourself what's the big assumption that makes protecting yourselves from those fears absolutely necessary. So if you, if you if you were to be a failure, if you know if you are a failure, what's the what's the big bad thing about that? So it's the it's the consequence, if you like, that we you know we we run a rule. It's like the example I gave of the lady who um, wanted to be better at giving feedback and actually needed to be more frank with people. The thing that she said, I'm, I'm, I'm secretly committed to never not being liked. I said, well, what's the assumption in the context of your improvement goal, which was providing feedback more effectively or being more frank with people at work? Because it's very easy to sort of take this into a very expansive um, fear and in, in me as a person in general. And what can make it safer and more actionable is to bring it into the rules we set ourselves that prevent us from achieving what we want to which is the improvement goal so the example with the lady who wouldn't be frank with people she went through the column two about all the behaviors you can imagine that she did about putting off conversations and etc and, and um, skirting around issues and and the hidden commitment was i'm secretly committed to never not being liked or never having people think think that i'm, I'm a bad manager and I said, well, what's, the, what's it really about for you? And because she was such a relationship-driven person, which I recognise, she said, yeah, if, if, um, you know, if, if, if I'm direct with people, they won't like me. I said, yes, and, and what's the, uh, the big consequence to that? She said, well, the, the, the big thing for me in that is the fact if they, it's like a, it's like a role in consequence thing where if, if I'm direct with people, they won't like me. And if they don't like me, they won't want to work with me. And I'll fail, and my and my my career will stall. And that's the big thing. And she went, "Oh my God, yeah, that's the thing that, that's the almost the rule I've been running to." 
but in making that visible, it suddenly allows, it makes the behaviours make even more sense, right? And that's the, that's the, the, you know, the denouement, if you like, that's the, that's the sort of, re, the, the big reveal at the end is, so what is the consequence of, you know, what are you, what rule are you living by that makes that protective measure for you absolutely necessary? Um, so I don't know what your experience was of that, that part of the process, because people, as you say, you get different bits from different parts. And sometimes the, the bit at the end is the, ah, oh, it's easier. Or sometimes that's the moment where people really work out what's going on for them. Where, where were you with that, Michael? Well, I think the thing that I found helpful at this point was to use that sort of particular structure mm. in the in the way you put the sentence together. So. For me, it would be if I was if I was to fail, then so yeah. it's the if then link, mm. then what? And then you keep asking yourself the then what? But if I was to fail, then what? And it was at this point that um, the source material of my fear sort of smacked me on the forehead, <laughs> <laughs> which took me way back to when I was a kid. And I was like, "Oh my God, can that can that really be it?" Like, it was so instant. This memory that forced its way into my awareness that I'd totally forgotten about. And I was like, "Oh wow, you know something, something from when I was younger that was so powerful that created this relationship between these two things in my thinking that then." all of a sudden feeds into this whole narrative and map, you know, 35 years later. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing because who knew that I was holding myself to these behaviours because of quite possibly one instant. It's pretty amazing actually for me to realise that. Does anybody else want to ask a little bit more? You, you, you want me to share what my source material is? Uh, no. <laughs> what, Kim, 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 watch this. No. <laughs> I just wondered if it was, if you could just colour in the then bit. Mm. I think that um, my, the source material of my, of this episode is to do with my father. And there was something happened when I was a kid between me and him. And the, con the, and the conclusion as a child, when I was a child, was that he didn't love me anymore because of a mistake I made. And so the, so the then bit is, is, sits in the sort of connection mm sort of domain of the ABC model around um, rejection and love. Yeah. Thank you, mate. That's, that's a powerful if then. Mm. Mm. And then, it, then there's other things that sort of filter out from that. And I think we talked about in the previous podcast, didn't we, about my, um, I think my dad came up last time. <laughs> Who knew he was so present in my life when I speak to him once a year? <laughs>
Yeah. Well, he, he, uh, yeah, I think that um, as a figure in my life, he has he, he has held me back, or he has helped me hold myself back. Is perhaps a better way of putting it. Then, because it means I can own it a bit more now. And the realization of the if then, then you go back to the consequence of that in terms of the improvement goal. So then that, if then, you start to explore how does that impact in the improvement goal, which was, I think, for you, Michael, about being more intentional with your career. Mm. So you're narrowing it back into the frame of, well, actually, the improvement goal makes it more, dare I say, manageable, because you're talking about not life in general, you're talking about yeah. a specific context, because it's it's very easy for it to go massively wide and deep and at the same time it's the process is let's contain it by exploring that biography almost in this mm. narrow frame by the improvement goal and it's and it's that thing about in my thinking i know it's not true yeah. this whole this whole rule in my thinking i'm like oh yeah that's just not true but emotionally I've been living my 41 years of life as though it is, mm. or however many years it's been since that, as though it is, and it's like, oh, God. It's been so ingrained in, in that time. It's, it's, yeah. The emotional part of it trumps the thinking part of it. Um, as I said, this, this is the bit for me that during the process, you know, Rich said that he, he had this sort of comical, uh, comical image at the beginning, for me, this is, it becomes quite comical at the end because, you know, in your rational mind, you know that, that your big assumption is a load of rubbish. You know, you know it's an exaggeration. You know that, of course, that's ridiculous. If I, you know, people aren't going to think that. And if I do this, you know, that, that's not what, that's not, you know, in your rational mind, you know, that's not what they're thinking or, or, or that that big assumption is, is, is false or untrue um, or irrational. But in your emotional Mind, which is where all these things really, you know, often come from, sort of deep-rooted um, emotional, you know, deep-rooted emotional experience. Um, that's what makes it real. And and then, so I felt quite ridiculous by the end, getting to the big assumption, going, but you know, I know this is rubbish, and I'm saying it out loud. You know, picking up on that vulnerability, and I'm saying out loud, this is this is my assumption. I know that's rubbish, but I really feel like it's true. You know, that's what I feel like, and that's what stops me doing it and again that kind of realization you can then be be you know being aware of that um and it's not you know it sounds almost like a bit of a bit of therapy kind of realizing that that deep-rooted thing that's been kind of controlling you for so long and sort of realizing it and and recognizing it and dealing with it and then going okay i can i you know this is this is the effect it's had on me and, and moving forward um so it's quite a transformation you know quite a, quite a, a big and transformational process that started from something quite um quite quite simple at its start, at its start this process is about building new knowledge about yourself that's a good example of where you get to and then it's just having that assumption visible is in itself therapy to your point Kim and it's just just in its visibility 
creates a degree of change because you build a you you become more objective mm. in this what the subjectivity of the behaviors if you like from before or you 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 process and experience the world through a very subjective lens if you like and then having this cause and effect or this rule that you live to um, making it visible helps you recalibrate with some degree of objectivity with that and you know there can be really big moments for people driven by a really as you say seemingly innoc- not innocuous because it's, it's it has to be a good problem and contextually it's something quite a bit smaller that leads to a big realization about something that's gone on for you for years i think it's that process that you can then uh that that process and that understanding um which is where i've kind of come back to it having been through that that process um and and swinging between a couple of different um issues not really sure which was the underlying issue um you know i I was torn between is it saying no is it is it trusting people and actually i've now kind of come back to it and hit the nail on the head which actually it's 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 asking for help which is kind of all all three are quite tightly linked um but actually that that is the the core thing for me that then stops me from trusting people and stops me from saying no and and it it boils down to asking for help so it's all it's all quite linked but it's um it's it was coming back to it at a later point having gone through that process and and not quite being able to settle on, on the point. Um, going, well, these two these are two things that I need to be better at, but I wasn't it didn't quite feel authentic at that point. And then I was like, ah, light bulb moment, this is this is the underlying reason at the heart of it. There's a there's a lovely moment. I don't know if you saw that, Kim, as you just described the point about asking for help. All three of the gentlemen on this call simultaneously went, ah, like that. And it just that that kind of but, but that that kind of reaction was quite prevalent i think throughout this this process but particularly at, at the end right really interesting i think also the energy between us has changed as as we've got through the steps and the, our conversation has gone deeper the i don't know what it is about the energy between us that's changed but we're more in a, in a deeper state of reflection or we're we're in a deeper state of like mutual respect in a way but there's definitely a different vibe now, isn't there, between us than when we started as we've gone into this process. Thankfully, there's not a step five. <laughs> we should, I think Ben should close with a story, shouldn't he? <laughs> there's two or three just loading up now in his brain. Just looking at the clock. Ooh, ten more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How many stories can you fit in? Where my head goes is from Michael's talking honestly about big assumption. my big assumption was almost too big to make it testable because the next stage of the process is to then say okay so how do we shape the foundations of the cause and effect so how do we almost resize its effect on you so we test we talk about testing it which is either to write the biography of it where did it start and you go oh, okay i know where that comes from and you, you know you've, you've all you know referenced you know, family dynamics or or history or something where there's a unique you know moment where something started and in order for for you to test it it's like the lady you know wanting to give direct feedback and because of the fear of you know if they, they're people not liking her or, or not wanting to work with her that's 
a testable thing because she can plan to actively test what would happen if she was direct and then go out and, and reflect with people afterwards and say, how did you feel about that? Was it Has that affected our working relationship? And and gathering information that, that disproves that big assumption. So, so sometimes things go too broad. And I remember the moment in, in Boston where the, the sort of, the, what did you say, Michael, the slap on the forehead or the, the bit that, that, that other, this moment where Claire went, you're all right. And I went, and that the hidden commitments for me were about likability. And then the word that just hit me in the big assumption was approval and the provocation in the subgroup, because believe me, Kim, we, we don't put anybody through things that we haven't been through ourselves, <laughs> um, was that what I blurted out at that moment was, well, without the approval of others, I don't exist, which was a huge global statement, which, you know, on the surface of things, as you said, Kim, I just laughed and I went, well, that's fucking ridiculous. And what it helped me with was to, whilst it would seem ridiculous, but in the context of what I'd started with, which was about being more authentic in the moment and upfront with people, approval was such a driver. It's been really helpful to develop a almost a different relationship with this because it's not about, well, clearly I do exist and I have existed and I've done all right. And understanding the power of that approval has then helped me go back to split things up into I think I talked about on the podcast last time about approval in my decision making as well as approval in the relationships I have with people and my ability to be upfront where there's more jeopardy where there's more at risk and so that that was a almost like a, a, a big global big assumption that's needed unpicking into context Tiny story in that, Michael, just a little tiny story. You know what? That one was worth listening to. <laughs> You're suggesting some of them aren't. Oh, <laughs> Only for the comedy value. I always enjoy Ben's stories. Thank you, Kim. I've always liked it. Rich, <laughs> I think I started this by throwing the first punch. I kind of feel that I should stop digging the bell. That's how I feel. <laughs> But I think, I think the, the cathartic nature of some of this has just come out through this this uh, session, right? In terms of you do have to, you know, you have to have the ability to have a, a laugh at some of the the kind of overt lunacy in some of the assumptions we probably make, and then even more bizarrely hold, right? I mean, there's one thing you can anyone can build a causational chain to come to an answer, but it's the, the holding it, isn't it, and the the impact that has afterwards. And when you kind of see that all laid out. Um, you know, it's, 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 um, I don't know, shocking's the right word, but in my case, one of them I was like, wow, to your point, Ben, like, where, did, where the hell did that come from, you know? And then it's about unpicking. And the process is a, you know, when I work with coaching clients or people like yourselves in, 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 in workshop programs, it's then helping people put time aside to reflect on that new knowledge. And you know, where are times in the week that's just gone that that, big assumptions being at play and and if, it, if I hadn't believed that how might I have been able to behave differently and it gives a lens a new lens to operate from and takes time and attention to unpick and I, I remember working with one of the first clients I ever worked with with this process three or four years ago seeing him four or five months later and he just looked younger 
he came bounding down a corridor to see me. I hadn't seen him. I, I was in coaching somebody else after the end of the coaching program. And I'd arranged just to have a coffee with him, catch up. And he came down the corridor, you know, a bundle of energy, which I'd never seen before. And he said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it has changed how I go about things at work and at home. And he said, and, and I haven't, and he wouldn't underestimate the work it's taken and it's identified the thing that he needed to work on, which is incredibly gratifying. And it's, you know, for some people, and appreciating the big assumption helps you then backfill all of the things you've attempted to work on on yourself. And that, that almost releases all of those things and gives you access to them. And for some people, it's the start of the journey. And either way, it's, it's helpful and it's very personal. I really like what you said earlier, Kim, about it being tiring thinking about riches or the hold something has on you like it's tiring to hold all of that isn't it and and when you can start to experiment with just slightly softening your hand and then gradually lifting a finger off and then just loosening your grip through a process of moderate attempts to conduct yourself in a slightly different way than you might normally then all of a sudden you release a bit of energy and that's the thing with anything you do in the service of overturning that assumption. You're, it's not about getting better at things. It's about that energy. It's about releasing that energy. It's about researching and gathering data that disproves that causation that you've been living by. And that's the, that's the trick. It's not right, I'm going to get really good at saying no to people. I'm going to get really good at being in the mo you know, saying what I really feel in the moment. It's more about when I do that, does the thing that I'm really fearful of happen? Because I've spent so much energy protecting myself from that. And it turns out it, it, people like me even more because I'm actually up front with them. Well, so they tell me. <laughs> yeah put some time in and inevitably when you get talking like this it's probably the time flies it does certainly for me how, how how's that been to talk through or how how do we end i'd say it's brought back some uh, some good memories Ben. good memories um but also it kind of reaffirms maybe some of the, the, the high level thoughts we opened with in terms of how powerful this is and and a kind of a, it's not quite a call to action, but it's a salient reminder, perhaps, that you know this is something you can you can do multiple times as you kind of hone in on on things that, that maybe are mm. you know inhibitors. And as I think Kim said very articulately at the beginning, doing this a couple of times has had a, a lot of value. So it's made me wonder if it's probably time I um, you know did it again. I'm not sure if that's because we've got our mid-year performance evaluation about to begin, so it's kind of naturally that landmark moment. But um, you know, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, Cosimodo smashing the bell at the back of my head and I'm beginning to hear it again, so probably not a bad thing. I can't really, I mean, you, you, you're very kind to say I succinctly uh, articulated it very well. I think I always think you articulate things very well and I don't think I can add anything to that. You, you've just summed it up brilliantly. Cosimodo smashing the bell. There you go. <laughs> there's, your, there's your final line for the podcast. 